Hello and welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is Joel Harrison. Uh, I'm Editor-in-Chief of B2B Marketing. And today's episode is going to be about customer sentiment and customer centricity. Uh, and we're focusing on this today in the in the kind of um, the wake of the changes that have come through from lockdown and coronavirus. Uh, we've been doing a series of roundtables of B2B Marketing with our B2B Marketing Leaders Group, who are CMOs, Marketing Directors, uh, Heads of Marketing, VPs, et cetera, et cetera. And um, we, we've been really focused on this in the wake of the coronavirus, doing the, doing it digitally to respond to the changes in circumstance. And one of the things that came through really strongly um, was the importance of customer centricity and, and customer sentiment understanding, given all the uncertainty that's going on, uh, how the changing situation, um, the, the the pain points that people were going through. And, and so we felt it was something that was really important to focus on. So we did a specific roundtable on this um, and we wanted to, and I wrote a blog to follow that up. And uh, so what we're going to do today is discuss that. And I'm delighted to be and discuss the general points that were made on that uh, roundtable and some of the issues surrounding it as well. I'm delighted to be joined today, as I was on the roundtable, by Shane Redding, who is our nominated expert in all things uh, customer sentiment related um, and is a general expert and authority and guru on B2B marketing. So, Shane, welcome. Delighted you could join us today. Thanks very much, Joel. Great topic. You and I have been talking about this for a long time, haven't we? We have indeed. And I think, um, yeah, we first started talking about it when you were doing some deep dive research into customer experience, uh, which was fascinating. So, yeah, it's been on the agenda for a long time, but more important than ever before. Yeah, I mean, and that's... um as as will as you you may know if you've heard our uh, previous um podcast where david mcguire was talking about clichés as as ever before is a cliche these days but it but it is a truism you know you, you customer, we need to understand what our customers are thinking and and more importantly feeling right now um and and that's becoming to, fo- to focus and and i think that's one of i don't know about you but i think that's one of the kind of inadvertent um positives from this whole crisis that it has brought that Folk that that need to be focused and need to be understanding and cognizant of this into focus and require people to think about it much more. What, what do you think about that? Do you agree? I think the whole crisis has given us all an opportunity to refocus and rethink everything, top to bottom, commercially and marketing led. And there's no doubt about it that customer sentiment, listening to our customers has been absolutely at the forefront for that. So I, I think, so that's a that's a good time to put, think, just to, before we go forward and look at some of the things that we concluded from that day, just to think more contextually about CX. I mean, when, as, as you alluded earlier on, you know, we did, we ran our, and you were very helpful to me at the time, we ran our first research piece on customer centricity, I think about four years ago now, I should know the answer to that uh, better, and our first conference on it. Uh, and at the time, it felt like an idea that was that was ahead of its time. Um, and I think we did a lot, our last piece of research last year, and it kind of showed that perhaps that's still the case because it's still the the I think the the acknowledgements of the importance has grown, but the ability to do something about it isn't really much further along. Would you agree with that? I agree. I think there's a there's a number of factors. I think actually customer centricity has changed in the way that we think about what that means. There was a whole phase, and there's loads of academic research about this, about that meant you put the customer at the centre of your business and you organised your business around the customer. And that model is fine if you're starting up from day one 
And you can build a business in that way. And there are some businesses that are quite successful in doing that. But for the majority of legacy companies, that approach just proved impossible for all of the reasons that, you know, traditional silos, the ways of organizing. What's changed to me is that actually even traditional businesses have understood that even if you can't sort of embed structurally the customer at the heart of your business, what you can do if the leadership team take this view that it's so important is understand the importance of customer excellence end to end. It's not just a marketing role. It's not a customer services role. It is a company-wide approach. And, and that's and that's a kind of an hallelujah moment, I suspect, for many people in business, particularly in marketing. But it does. And there's a broader conversation around this. And actually, I was talking to Paul Cash yesterday, who's writing his new book on B2B marketing about where marketing uh, begins and ends and its relevance and role in the future, and particularly relating to the challenge of CX and the growing uh, prevalence of um, uh, customer success people, particularly in this SaaS tech area. Um, I don't think that's a conversation for today, but it but it does open the doors to a bigger picture, which I think is an opportunity for marketing rather than a threat. W- would you agree? Yes, I do. I, I completely agree. And as you know, because I'm your expert trainer for B2B marketing, um, one of the courses that um, I run is customer experience. And I think some of the marketers that come on it expect the course to be purely about the marketing function. And it's absolutely not. What we discuss and we cover is actually customer experience in the whole organization, but how marketing basically can fit um, and can lead in that context. And I think it's really quite reassuring. And certainly the course I did the most recent one a couple of weeks ago, that the people who were on that sort of said that it was really helpful to understand that they did need to go and work with other colleagues to get that better understanding of all the customer touch points to do a better job within marketing, but also to try and get everybody aligned around CX. Yeah, it's kind of a a threat and an opportunity at the same time in that in that respect. But I, I think we should desperately because it the threat's the wrong word, but it requires marketing to think outside of its own silo. Um so that's exciting in my perspective, because I think marketing should be aspirational thinking bigger. Just to thank you for the the um the the, the plug for the for your course. And it's it's appropriate for it to mention it more now. Um your next CX course I understand is um is 14th, 15th of October this year. So um it's a bit of a bit of a time away from when we're when we're recording this right now, but we will do doing them regularly as well. So depending on when you look at this, go and have a look at the B2B marketing website and look for look for go to our training section and look for uh, CX or customer experience um and uh, there should be one coming around before too long. Um, and we'd love to have you on board for that. Um, before we dive into the, so just a bit of context then, just to get into the main the main topic of the conversation rather than our kind of preamble. Um, the uh, So this, as I said before, this came from a, a virtual roundtable that we did for our B2B marketing leaders group. Um, and uh, it was Chatham House Rules. So those who attended, uh, their, what they said in the meeting was remained confidential. Um, and we, we, we expressed it as such. And it was the whole point is about them to be be candid, to share experiences, to build their network. And we do this uh, on a, a biweekly basis. And we'd love to talk to you about those if you're one of those people. We'd love to get, get you involved in those in the future. Shane joined us and helped us discuss some of those points. Um, and um, it, it was a very revelatory conversation. Marketers from very different backgrounds, with different perspectives, but all very enthusiastically sharing their perspectives and, and, and helping move the conversation along. And I learned an awful lot about the topic and what it means right now from that conversation. So 
what we're going to do now is just to look at, so I, I wrote a blog on the back of it, which kind of pulled out, which I thought some of the most interesting findings. And what we're going to do right now um, is to just to look at some of those, the points that I made in the blog. You know, it's, it's actually just nine points. I tried to make it 10, but there were, there were nine that seemed most appropriate to me. So um, and I'm going to pick on some of those points and uh, and discuss them in more detail. And, and I've asked Shane to kind of go through and have a look and see which ones she thought were most resonant, which ones were were, 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 were most worthy of a further explanation. So, um, so Shane, the first one we're going to talk about is about um, is, is the number one in the list, which is sentiment assessment is an, an analog game, not digital. And this was, I was, I was surprised by this. I, I guess you probably were as well. That you know, we talk about we're in this world where we talk about all this kind of tsunami of martech, and particularly insight related martech allows you to understand what's going on. But most people on the call on on this roundtable certainly were using very little of that. If anything, they were just using Zoom and things like that to actually understand sentiment. Um, only one individual who attended was had a really sophisticated use of martech to be able to understand kind of subtle shifts in this. So, were you surprised by this? No. Absolutely not. I wasn't at all because my, if you like, the day job is consulting into very large organisations. And this is something I find all the time. Um, there are amazing tools for tracking and measuring sentiment assessment, particularly across social touch points. Um, but they are rarely joined up with our campaign touch points which are measuring something else so you might be you know in your martech stack you might be using something like a marketo or a hubspot which absolutely have the apis into having these tools to bring in social listening and sentiment listening but people are just not there yet they're not that joined up and it was fascinating listening to the cmos saying no you know it might even be done by a different team it might be the crisis and team who take that data or it might be customer services who are managing um, the social outreach in a service centric way so not surprised at all it's a big problem for us all to deal with and I guess this probably relates back to the more general perspective and picture on MarTech. Um, it's not just around the customer sentiment customer centricity type or related or insight related tools it's the whole stack you know there, there is a lot of um, as you say, there's wonderful tools, wonderful technologies, and these brands are great at marketing themselves. And I think that to kind of relate back to um, what Maureen Blanford said last year at our, um, our Get Stacked event, you know, we, there's a lot of shaming going on about people who, don't, who haven't reached this nirvana of joined up um, all, all powerful tech solutions. But it's, it's like any form of advertising. It doesn't actually necessarily reflect reality. Absolutely. And it's not easy to do. And it's maybe not a priority. You know, if you're back to your, your KPIs in the in the day job, what are you being measured on? And being very blunt, as we know, B2B marketing has been measured on demand generation for a very long time, then sentiment analysis is potentially right down the bottom of your list. And I think the reason it's come to the top, and certainly it seemed to be the feeling in the room, that it's now understanding how our customers are feeling and what that means that they're doing in terms of taking decisions differently. And all of a sudden, there's this, no, we really need to understand that now. And that came out from a number of people, which I thought was really interesting. And it comes from the board. It's directly relevant to the board. They want to know and they're relying on marketing or other parts of the function, organizational function like them to tell them what's going on, which is a good thing. And it's an opportunity for marketing, in my opinion, to be able to, to seize on that and to start setting the agenda. You know, as somebody said 
on our um, at our US Ignite event, quoting Churchill, who said, "Never waste a good crisis." And in this instance, we certainly have one of those. Um, but but Shane, just because people aren't using the latest technology and they are using more analog forms, or or be, or be it kind of focus groups on things like Zoom because you can't see people directly and they can't travel, etc. That doesn't necessarily mean that the output they're getting is wrong or irrelevant, does it? No, it doesn't. It, but you have to be careful because, um, and I am not a trained market researcher, but I have worked with a lot of people who are. And as always, you know, you're depending on your data source, you're going to get a set of answers. So the thing with focus groups, you know, fantastic if you're looking for insight on your top customers, maybe you're running a account-based marketing and sales program, you can interview those key stakeholders and you can interview more than just one department. You can reach a variety of people, but that's just one segment. You know, it's very difficult to do focus groups in volume. So, you know, it's not great when you want to, to reach and have much wider data points. But of course, it's completely valuable. And you'll always find things. I mean, I I started my career in, in sales, and I'm still a great fan of Walk the Walk. Very difficult at the moment. You can't walk the walk in Zoom. Um, but going to people's offices, oh my goodness, as a salesperson, you learn so much by walking through the door, seeing their environment, seeing what's on the desk, seeing what's on the wall, you know, your competitor's freebies or whatever and and that informal feedback that sales can give you is super helpful as well as a focus group where the customers tell you directly and I suppose the the virtual rea- a sort of equivalent is using your sales people to do some deep research on LinkedIn or other social platforms and I guess so I, I, I think all those points on board and I think that the um the opportunity is at the moment is to be engaging theoretically because the barriers to entry are are low in that we can anyone can jump on a zoom or a microsoft teams call at any point either theoretically to get anecdotal feedback albeit on a very one-to-one level is hugely powerful and theoretically much more possible and so those you know that the the i can't take time to travel with a salesman up three hours in a car to go and see someone well that's no longer a, a challenge no longer no longer an issue so it feels to me at the very least that anecdotal feeling the the vibe is something which if there ever was an excuse for it there certainly isn't at the moment so just on that level that seems like a useful thing to be doing it is i think as long as you take care um to have the lens of yes they're saying this but what are they really saying and and um Scott Scottwell at IBM talks about the five whys as a technique. And actually, that's something very valuable in um, sort of the focus group is when somebody tells you something, you're trying to dive deeper into the real reason. It's like, you know, if you get a price objection, it's never really about price. It's about value. So, you know, just making sure um that you are you're using a skilled interviewer or if you get this anecdotal feedback from sales you you you're just looking underneath for what the yeah. real trends are yeah we're living in a behavioral economics informed world these days where we know people uh, don't necessarily tell you they, the the the, tr- the real truth they tell you a sanitized version of the truth um so or, or what appeals to be an acceptable version of it so 
Fair, a very fair point. Okay, Shane, I think I think that's um that's a really helpful to kind of deep dive into that one. So that the next um I hate the expression deep dive, but I've started using it. I can't believe it. I feel like I'm very untrue to myself. Um, the next point which we, we you suggested we would might want to explore a bit further on is the number two on my list, which is customer centricity isn't just about customers. Um, and this actually makes the point, which is came across really strongly from all of those attending, is actually about the whole brand ecosystem and your overall reputation as a brand. So this link between customer, the, the, the only the customer owning the brand and the, the view outside the organization, um, and it encompasses all cha- all stakeholders, all channel partners, all advocates, all influencers, or both increasingly uh, important audiences in today's world. Um and it's easy to forget this, isn't it? It's easy just to think about the person signing the check and it, and that's just not the case anymore. It's not. And in business to business marketing, we have very complex ways of reaching the end customer. Um, as you say, whether it's channels or whether it's advisors, um, whether it's resellers or increasingly whether it's influencers, you know, consultancies. So understanding the whole ecosystem, as you put it, and who's saying what is really important and understanding that sentiment also within the brand ecosystem who are your um, proponents supporters um, and who are your detractors very very key and, and it's interesting we we're talking earlier on about the um, customer who can own the customer and the other kind of stakeholders or other groups who may be competing in, a, in speak inverted commas uh, for the for the kind of airtime of the customer brand is another area where marketing b2b marketing has had a uh, patchy success in being responsible for um and and i think i think probably less successful than more successful and and but there's a real clear dovetail between this um customer ecosystem and the brand uh ecosystem and the brand hierarchy and the brand structure um and and so and I guess this is a problem potentially for marketers because it's taking them out of that kind of core demand generation ABM uh, area into something which is bigger, where they may have less clout um, and less ability to to, to influence. Um, but it's but again, it's also an opportunity. Would you, what, what do you think? I completely agree. It's absolutely an opportunity, particularly when you're trying to widen your product and service set. And it's it's an age-old problem. It's a problem I did some work a long time ago with, with Sage when they were doing a brand refresh, moving from um, being known purely as a accounting system company to much wider um, tech, business tech. And But the strength of the brand is also a problem, you know, and that was exactly their issue. And in a way, it's sort of continued to be so that we have these B2B brands that are very strong for one thing. And when the company evolves and moves on, um, that actually it's then very difficult uh, for your market to understand that you offer much more. So that reaching your customers and understanding what they think about you and what they value is is really at the heart of it. Yeah, that's interesting. It's a um, it's a, a kind of a legacy approach, um, and I guess it it, it applies equally to really fast moving tech companies as it applies to kind of more traditional manufacturing ones and i was i was um uh listening to a session from ignite usa for mitsubishi heavy industries and they were talking very much of a of a kind of a corporate um uh corporate messaging 
down through all the way through to sales, kind of thought, starting with thought leadership across the whole group, trying to find things that are resonant for the whole group and then filtering them down via marketing to sales, which sounded incredibly hierarchical and structural um, and quite unwieldy in some respects, but I, I, I guess it kind of works. And I guess this is kind of lag between what um, what you might need, um, between what, what, what current perceptions are and where, the, where business is changing, particularly in this really fast-moving environment we're in right now. I think that point, Joel, is fascinating because actually one of the things we haven't really touched on yet is the importance of internal communication, excellent employee comms, excellent employee experience. And there's really strong association between brands that consistently score for top customer experience also have top employee experience. And what you've just described there of having a very planned approach to actually ensuring your employees know what you stand for, know what your brand values are. They know um, how it should guide everything they do. I think we have seen in the crisis the companies where that's been very clear and very different perhaps to their competitors really helps bring them to life like nothing else has before. It's the employees living the brand. Yeah, yeah, and we actually made that. That was one of the things that came through quite strongly in the report towards the end. To, sorry, in the roundtable towards the end, the kind of and and this potential for an alliance between marketing and HR, both of whom have been functions corporate functions who haven't had the most respect they might be able to. You know, haven't necessarily been the kind of at the top of the corporate pecking order. But theoretically, given this concept and and, and the importance of employees in delivering that both verbally and visibly. Uh, gives them the opportunity to, to really reinvent themselves in collaboration with each other if they can grasp the opportunity and work together. Um, I think it's a fascinating challenge. Um, whether anyone can do it, I, I don't know. I think they can. And I think, you know, there are there are some who don't need to reinvent themselves who are already doing it and are doing a very good job on this. But it is absolutely, as you say, a very good opportunity should you need to raise the, if you like, the stakes in how important marketing is um, to involve HR, as you say, because they can help in so many ways, whether it's, you know, rolling out training around brands and customer experience, whether it's in the actual communication piece, um, whether it's actually identifying the departments where they've done an audit and you're finding that you have less than perfect, um, how should we say, customer satisfaction scores. I mean, the interesting thing about this for me is as a, as a, as a journalist seeking to kind of look at a topic and ring fence it and talk about it, Within that, within the the, const, the, the the kind of artificial construct of that ring fence, that very quickly you start talking about CX, and it immediately falls out of that ring. You know, we're we're talking about brand, and we're talking about employee engagement, and we're talking about um, collabor- internal collaboration, and those things are. And I absolutely agree; those things are relevant. But it, but it, it just shows it's a very marketing is a is a is a joined up connected world which if done properly cannot exist in silos like this because it, it, you won't just won't be achieving the things that you do and i i think actually talking to paul cash yesterday uh, about his new book you know it feels like that's the that's where marketing should be going it, you know it needs to needs to be aspiration enough to step outside of its demand generation silo and into into a bigger realm um and and that's that's really exciting 
It is exciting. And I mean, you know, sometimes it is blindingly obvious when when you look at things from a different perspective. But when we understand, you know, we as customers, the way we view a business, we're not looking just at their marketing, you know, what they send us and their email comms. We're looking at the whole. We're looking at the context. We're looking at absolutely everything. Everything we touch and we consume and our decision making is influenced by all of the things a company does. And in B2B, that's very complex. And and therefore, understanding that is even harder, but even more important. Um, so, yeah, it's just that back to fundamentals. You know, it's what the customer thinks of you. Yeah, yeah, and we have to we have to keep reminding ourselves of that. Um, and I'm talking about being reminded. Um, you know, you and I are having a lovely chat as we always do. Um, and I'm, I'm mindful that we need to kind of um, not just to, to be to be pointed and to try and get through these points before. Otherwise, we could be here literally all day. Because I know I could do that. We could talk about this forever because it's something I'm very passionate about, and I know you are as well, Shane. The next point I wanted to pick up was um, was the third one on my list, which was um, from the blog, which was CX and customer centricity demand board level buy-in and ownership, and that actually ties back into what we said earlier on you know the board need to understand it understand the importance and the relevance of it um and 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 have it believe it's something which is relevant to them so they need to own those metrics and then provide kind of the the latitude the license for um for for marketing or somewhere it's marketing in in the using in the traditional sense using the word marketing title or somebody to to action it and get on with it and that's true isn't it it is true and i think what i was most heartened about is that all of the cmos on this round table said that they were they had a place at the table for these discussions about what to do and how to basically um plan for the next stage and also it was something that Rory Sutherland said at the at your recent conference at Ignite USA that you know marketers never before their skills have been center stage as, as much as now because of the behavioral you touched on that um because of at that need to understand what customers want now so yeah absolutely board level it, it's I feel like there's it does feel like there's some way to go yet though I don't think that there is quite a um, concerted plan of action about around how you take that understanding that rec- that growing recognition post a light bulb moment for someone to do to do something about it and you know one challenge that mark again marketing has is what do you call marketing is this the emergence of these customer um success functions you know that theoretically that feels like a great idea and you know we've looked at it ourselves as a business that removes a chunk of um, it could be seen as a threat by marketers. Um, I don't think it should be, but it could be. So um, it doesn't it doesn't feel like there's quite the license to go away and um, and, and and do something with those thing with with the with this 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 customer um, remit that there perhaps could be. I think it's we're going in the right direction, but I don't think we're quite where we need to be just yet. I think there's a danger um, that actually you're right this is short-term tactical I won't say knee-jerk because that sounds unfair Um, but it is a response to a crisis how much longer you know will this lead to deeply embedded customer experience customer centricity programs I don't know but it there's some interesting research that's just come out which is certainly showing that in the tech sector um, that their biggest investment that they are predicting within marketing spend is longer term customer experience programs, which I find fascinating. 
Yeah, and that's great. I, mean, I guess it the tech sector is always always kind of uh, leads the charge on these things. And I guess it is inherently easier to do if you're in a kind of more transactional or more necessary in a more kind of transactional kind of relationship rather than in something like professional services. And I know there were some members of some representatives of professional services firms there where there's still a lot of the kind of customer ownership is done by or the customer dialogue is done by partners or, or fee owners. So that makes it just not impossible, just more complex. So I think we're getting there. But I think, and to your point, I completely agree. The danger with all of these that we've made, I feel like from my perspective, it feels like we've made some great strides as an industry in a situation of great adversity. And there's some great learnings that have come on board. The challenge with any of them, all of them, is to make sure they actually turn into long-term gains and process changes and improvements rather than just a, a flash in the pan. Yeah, and that's back to the com- demonstrating the commercial return. I mean, it's as simple as that. If you've got to get the board to support this is, well, and we're looking at the bottom line, we're looking at return to shareholders, um, why would we be investing in this? And I think, I mean, I use within my training course some really interesting research around the Standard & Poor Index of top performing companies consistently over time have outstanding customer experience. And actually, it's that lens which we all need to remember when we're trying to bring stakeholders with us you know what's in it what's in it for the board how's this going to move um the profits yeah yeah and and, and what's the well, it's, it's not a it's not a short-term game it's, it's about long-term implications so um and it'd be to be everything you know, nothing's particularly short-term even though our human beings might think short-term um okay so i'm mindful we need to move on we have two more points to cover um in this podcast um the, the second the, the, the fourth one which is number four on my list is product development has moved center stage and now again this this shouldn't be surprising at all because uh, a lot of people, a lot of products have become simply redundant and irrelevant in the context in, in the current environment. Other products have um, uh, companies have spotted. I mean, opportunity is possibly too strong a word for it. Everyone was very anxious in these roundtables not to be talking about great successes or, or slapping themselves on the back. But frankly, people spot things that their company can do that weren't necess- weren't relevant a couple of years ago. And we've seen the rise of Zoom and Microsoft Teams has been a phenomena. Um, so, you know, marketing has got much closer and has and has become much more enmeshed. There's, there's, there's maybe, that's maybe the wrong word. There, there's just the kind of relationship between between marketing and product development feels like it's got much stronger in this period. Um, and that is is really exciting. I think it has for some companies. I think, as you say, that the world is not equal and there are, you know, there are companies that are performing really well. Um there's obvious tech ones, but there are also some, some very smart, um, traditional, been around a long time, office supplies companies. And I've had some great emails, you know, offering um, face masks and hand sanitizer to small businesses, because if you're going to be going on the train in the next month, then, you know, it will be now a requirement to have a mask. And I think there is, you know, and it's clearly that wasn't a lead selling product, um, but they've seen an opportunity, very tactical and gone for it. I think the problem I see in the wider context is how many B2B organizations have separated their product development from marketing and marketing aren't deeply embedded in it. And that that's an issue because you're, the insight that you need um, is coming to it too late. And so products are sort of being developed, which really aren't meeting the current need particularly or even the future need, as you say, as things have changed so much. Hasn't that always been a bit of a problem with B2B though? That, you know, it's like, 
you know, B2C has always been about the kind of the brand comes first, whereas in B2B, often it's people creating wonderful things and then going out and looking for a market for them, incredible things. Whereas this is, you know, this feels like, as you say, whether the, 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 the people designing the products have had to go and call on marketing to to provide them with this insight and that's and that's great for marketing but it goes back to the point we said earlier on is this a long-term shift can we can we move this back and create a, a greater allegiance and and longer term interaction between these two functions or will it revert back to the bad old days i guess that's up to the individuals in those functions to make make that happen and i guess the companies also that don't do that well we may not be around much longer absolutely and i think that you know need to move fast and the need to respond to what the customers are telling you and i think where marketing have been as you say being able to tap into those sources of insight and look at them differently whether it's taking um a live chat stream or whether it's taking customer services data or Whatever that information is that's coming in saying, oh, this is where our customers are asking for help or asking for differently. Um, and there was one CMO who referenced this who said that, you know, for a long time, he'd wanted to introduce a differently priced product and had met resistance and was able to get it in through in two weeks because it was like, yeah, the time is yeah. now. And actually, that leans on beautifully to our final point one to raise, which is point number six in my list of nine, which is a license to innovate. Um, so, it just feels like this is now is the time that marketers can the, the, the barriers that many marketers may have felt to do all manner of different things, um, but particularly relating to customer centricity initiatives and, and creating insight. That there is just an opportunity to do this now as never before. So marketers can and should be seizing it, um, and but building it in as a um, as a as a, as a a learning for the future and not just a not just a flash in the pan as you mentioned before so so it's about building processes and, and competencies in the business yes and that that i think done in the right way is also a really key lesson we've we've got frustrated and there's a lot of chat out in the market about you know the ambulance chasing style approach um, to marketing in the crisis, which just, you know, customers see straight through it. But actually, if there's a real genuine attempt to innovate and do something different, like, for example, and it's a great example, B2B marketing's training, transitioning in the period of of two weeks um, from what would have been a face-to-face course to delivering it virtually and experimenting with the length of time, you know, what's the right time for a training course and the learnings, all of the delegates that took part in recent courses have been what, you know, we, we absolutely think this is great. We weren't, we weren't expecting virtual training to work. So they liked being part of the experiment. And I think that's the learning to me is that if you can involve your customers, be transparent and honest, and say look we're trying you know we absolutely try to do the best by you not by us um in order to deliver what we promised and maybe more then you get huge buy-in yeah everyone's learning from everybody else right now and um it's a very meta world for better or worse and, and, that, and that's exciting um interesting to see how it'll be um, in three months time there's also lots of as i said lots of latitude for um uh for things not being as crisp and clear we all seem to be a lot more informal than we were which i think is a really positive thing so and that applies across all aspects of marketing and business and and i'm sure it would do in um in customer experience and centricity so 
So Shane, I mean, those are the five points we're going to cover, and I'm mindful we've um, we've gone a little bit over our target time of half an hour. But um, you know, I, I was I was encouraged by what I heard, and it sounds like you were too. It's, it feels like this is a it's helped the, the the discipline of customer centricity and customer experience move further forward, um, and and provided those who are passionate about it with an opportunity and and remit to do bigger and better things in the future if they if they. Um, if they can deliver on, if they can be focused on that and, and make those, and demonstrate success, success from what they've actually done. I agree. And I think I'm, I'm very excited about perhaps seeing in your, your future awards um, some of the companies who've used customer san- sentiment analysis over the past weeks to do something differently. And I think we will see some outstanding, innovative approaches. And I think we're all going to learn loads uh, from this. So yeah, it is exciting. And, and it makes me feel very positive um, about what we can do and how we can move forwards as an industry. Okay. And no doubt, Shane, that you're going to pick up on some of those lot of that, those anecdotes and those examples of, of um, uh, these developments in customer experience that we're seeing in this period of time. And hopefully we'll feed some of those through from the awards as well. And those will be included in your, your training course you'll be doing for us regularly. So as we say, the next one is in October 2020, next one from now when, when we're recording this. But you may be listening to this in the future. And, and if you are, then uh, after this course is run, then please do check the website. This is a core topic for B2B marketing and no doubt we'll be running it again in the future. And these courses will be digital as far as we're aware for the foreseeable future Shane won't they so you know we can't imagine the time uh, they may go back to being physical but it seems like the most appropriate way to be doing this digital so we hope we can get you involved in one of these soon so um, so I think that's it from us so thanks Shane thank you so much for joining us thank you Joel uh, and I hope you can um, hope you've enjoyed this podcast and you can join us again for another one very soon goodbye <laughs>